Luke chapter 22. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, a red one. I want you to take that and join us. But we are grateful to be together today. Amen? One year ago, we celebrated Easter from our homes watching online. And to tell you the truth, we've learned a lot in a year. And one of those things that we've learned is that life is full of heartache. We've seen people lose loved ones, those we know and many that we've just read about on television or, or seen as a, a number and maybe not known personally, but recognize families and, and uh, parents and kids and spouses that have had to say goodbye in this unusual time of sickness and loss and grief and depression. Even in the life of the church, Brian Croft, who is kind of writer to preacher to preachers, he writes these words, pastors are now having to face the reality that some people may never come back to church. People they knew, people they loved, people they thought were with them, and that's, and that's hard. It's hard to understand. And we're living in a world that seems to be spiraling downward Yet we seem to hear from the news that everybody's got the answer to the happiness. And you and I recognize that what people are looking for is found in the cross of Calvary in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody want to say amen? amen? Any satisfied customers in this place this morning that God is faithful and God is true and he'll do what he says he'll do? You see, Easter is the hope of mankind. It's the hope of mankind. And today we celebrate all across the world with those like us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are crying out, uh, Hosanna. It's Jesus who saves. It's the tomb that's empty. And we praise him forevermore. And the good news is, he's not just up in heaven looking at this whole world. He's coming back one day. And I want to tell you who's going to go to heaven. Listen carefully those of you in this room that are prepared to go. You're not going to heaven by default. The Bible says we're sinners by default. But the good news is the cross made a way. Amen? And that's, and that's what we come today to proclaim. But Easter is not without heartache. Has anybody in this place ever had heartburn? I took something for it this morning. Maybe like some of you. As a matter of fact, I received a shot this week, and now I know why my mouth is so dry. Dr. Hope told me why. If I drink more water than usual today, I'm not having a stroke. I'm just very dry, okay? Folks, listen. Heartburn and heartache are two different things. Heartache is a UCLA Bruin this morning watching that ball go in after playing such a great game. Heartache is when maybe the dreams that you thought that you had for your life seem to change. Heartache is watching your kids mistreated at school. Heartache is what God knows about every life in this place today. 
There's never been anything you've gone through, anything that, that you're battling this morning that God's not aware of. And I believe the Easter story is a reminder for us that it also contains some heartache. Now this morning when we look at Luke chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 54, and we're going to focus in on the disciple Peter. Peter was the guy who would speak first. Peter was the guy who was in front of the line. Peter was the, the rugged fisherman that decided to follow Jesus, and he was a, a leader for Christ wherever he went. But there was some heartbreak surrounding Peter's life when it came to Easter. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 54. And having arrested him, they led him, we're referring to Jesus. And they brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. I want you to circle that phrase right there in Scripture. He followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. I want you to circle that. Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him, but he denied him, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are, all, you are of them, but Peter said, Man, I'm not. Verse 59. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. I want you to circle, he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. A promise that Jesus had made to Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And Peter, like many of us, would say, Lord, it ain't happening on this watch. It's not going to happen in my life. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever said that as a parent? That won't happen in my family. That won't happen to my kids. That won't happen into my marriage. Hey, I, I bet we could all stand up and say there are things that we thought we were experts about until we had to deal with them. Are you guys with me this morning? All right. And the Lord turned in verse 61 and looked at Peter. I want you to circle that. He looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now here's what I want us to really get this morning. There are some steps we need to take to avoid heartache when it comes to being a believer, a Christian. What, now, what am I talking about, a believer? Uh, as a matter of fact, anybody can believe. The Bible says in James 2.19 that the devil believes and trembles. Now, would we say this morning that the devil's a Christian? Of course not. But belief is not necessarily being a Christian. Some people have belief that God will get you over something temporary. You wake up, today's going to be a hard day at work. God, will you be with me at work? Will you be with me at the doctor's office? Will you be with me at school? And then you get through the day, and at the end of the day, God got you through it, and that's the extent of your belief. Some of you believe, some people believe that Jesus existed, and, and, and he did, amen? 
And there's living proof that he not only lived, but he did die. He did die of crucifixion. And that the, this, this great miracle took place called a resurrection that was unexplainable. But some people believe that Jesus exist, existed just like we believe Abraham Lincoln existed. That's not saving faith. I'm talking to Christians today who believed that this Jesus was God in the flesh, lived a sinless life, then went to a cross and willingly laid on the cross and died for the sins that should have been Greg Jackson's. He took my place. Remember Dottie Rambo? He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. And my need was to be saved. But something happens that I believe brings heartache in the life of a Christian, and we see it in Peter's life as he takes this journey. Here's the first thing I want you to understand this morning. Believers get in trouble when you follow Jesus at a distance. You get in trouble when you follow Jesus at a, di a distance. So that makes me want to ask myself the question, what causes it? What causes me to slowly fade from the foot of the cross? This Wednesday night and, and last week, we looked at Jesus coming in and, and re remember, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. And they were singing praises to Jesus, but we also recognized the closer they got to Calvary, the thinner the crowd became. What causes me to follow Jesus from a distance? Here's a few thoughts. First of all, sin. Sin. When there's sin in my life, it causes me to want to retreat. It causes me to want to be away from Jesus, not move closer to him. And to tell you the truth, when there's sin in my life, I don't want to give it up. I don't give it up easily. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Brother Greg, I'm trying to live for the Lord, but there's just some stuff that I can't give him. Or there's some things in my life that are too embarrassing or too shameful, or to tell you the truth, it's tucked away in a little part of my heart, and I don't want to give it to him. I want to continue on. Folks, listen to me. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to split his time with anybody here this morning. He wants all of your heart. Amen? He wants every bit of your life. He wants you all in. He wants you fully surrendered. I believe that sin, I believe lack of surrender, I believe fear of accountability might be a reason that we follow from a distance, or fear that we're going to disappoint somebody. Fear that we're going to disappoint somebody. That's what Barb shared in her testimony Wednesday night, that I thought, I'm just going to get right with God, I hope I don't disappoint somebody. I've never seen anybody disappointed when somebody gets right with God. Amen? That's the good news. But Peter was following from a distance, even though much of his life he was right there in front. And now he was watching from a distance. You know, when we follow from a distance, I believe some things happen. I believe we get very critical when we follow from a distance, meaning that we find fault with everybody else. It's never our problem. It's never our issue. We're not the one that's causing it. It's always somebody else's fault. Folks, when we follow from a distance, you'll get very critical. 
Secondly, you'll become a second guesser of everybody. You'll try to guess everybody's motives, even though you don't know them. You'll become a skeptic, and you'll find yourself following Jesus from a distance. But something happens. Look at chapter 22, and let's look at, let's start with 55. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Peter sat among them. Now, you're going to see kind of a progression here. He goes from following at a distance to remind us that trouble comes to a believer, number two, when we would rather blend in. Now, I want to tell you a time when you want to blend in. Our son Drew, thanks to your Dean Kettering, has turned him into a turkey hunter. You want to blend in, turkey hunters in here. Give me, a, give me an amen. You want to blend in when you're in camouflage. Is that true? You, you don't want turkey to see you trying to kill him. You want to blend in. But trouble comes to a believer when you try to blend in with this world God's put us in. What do you mean, Brother Greg? Let's just be reminded of Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, do not be conformed to this whole world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Trouble comes when you try to blend in as a believer. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and pat you on the back every time they look at you. That's not what the Bible says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, listen, and glorify your Father in heaven you see God has called you from a dark place and that's a sin sick world you know what I've discovered it's taken me 59 years to discover it the answer to life's problems is not coming in on a donkey or an elephant it's only Jesus it's only Jesus. And for some of us, man, we watch the news and we think that whoever's broadcasting the news has the answer to fix all of these life's problems. And I'm telling you, it began on the cross of Calvary uh, from the creator of the world who gave his precious sinless blood to die. They put him in a tomb, says it's over, it's hopeless. Up from the grave he arose on Easter Sunday. That's why we're here today. But it's not without heartache because Peter loved the Lord. Yet there was a time when he began to follow from a distance and then he began to blend in with the crowd. I have a great burden as the pastor of this church. God's called me to be your shepherd. A shepherd loves his sheep and is to take care of the sheep, protect the sheep. 
And I want you to be very, very careful, brothers and sisters in Christ, first family, about what you post on the internet, about what your social media page looks like. And I want to ask you, when you think about your life, when people look at it, are they going to see the world or are they going to see Christ? And folks, we've got to be careful because there is a real devil, a real enemy that wants you to blow your testimony. And as I, Joe, I think it was in a, uh, a Bible study we did this past week, that when you blow your testimony, you might spend the rest of your life trying to get it back. That's how fragile it is and how character comes and how character goes. I mean, if I'm here this morning and I want to look more like the world than I do Jesus, I need to take a good look and see if I'm really saved. Listen to this Gallup poll that, was, that came out this past week. In essence, it's, it's kind of scary. Church members are a minority in the United States for the first time. Church uh, Gallup poll, Baptist Press. Church members are in the minority for the first time in the last eight decades with just 40% identifying with a congregation. A growth in adults with no religious preference and lower rates of church membership among people who do not have a religion are major trends driving the decline. Younger generations hold the highest rates of those with no religious preference, including 31% of millennials and 33% of adult Generation Z, those born in the mid-90s into the early 2010s. Currently among those who do affiliate with a religion, declines since the turn of the century were the highest among younger generations, with the share of millennials declining from 63% in 2000 to 50% in 2020. First, the loyalty to one church is not as common as it once was. Millennials and Gen Z will visit several churches as they feel led. Secondly, the need to join a church and become a member under the authority of a pastor and submit to the process of the church culture does not seem appealing or an option to those who can come and go as they please with no pressure. Listen at this. With previous generations of Baptists, the invitation or the altar call was emphasized. In many of today's churches, invitations are downplayed. That doesn't mean that evangelism or discipleship is minimized, but the emphasis is no longer as much on joining, which is reflected in membership, as it is in serving and belonging. Let me, let me help you understand something, especially for our guests here today. We're not interested in making everybody a bunch of Southern Baptists. We want to know if you're going to heaven or not. And folks, we're living in a day where it's not like it used to be. And, and I've heard it, I've heard it from some of you that it's the church's fault. We're not flashy enough, we're not relevant enough. Folks, the Bible does not change. Now, what do you want me to do? You want me to rip off my sport coat and tie and open my collar and put a Hawaiian shirt on and preach in flip-flops? Here's what would happen if I did that. You would say, our preacher's having a nervous breakdown. We'll let the guys who can do that do that. They do it well. We have to realize who we are. We've got to realize who we are. And we are going to be, and until the Lord Jesus rips me out of this pulpit, a gospel-preaching, 
soul-winning, invitation-giving church because people need hope and they need, know, they need to know how to respond. If I have cancer, Brother Greg, tell me how to be healed. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you have something worse than cancer. It's a disease called sin, and there's only one cure, and it's Jesus. And I'm going to tell you how to be healed every time you come and hear a message because he continues to save souls. Well, as sad as that is, to me, that looks like a Peter mentality of following a little bit from a distance and then thinking we're going to make everybody happy by changing how we do things and what we do. It won't happen. You'll find something else that you don't like. So we're going to, we're going to line up to the Word of God rather than the fads which are changing with the culture. If you don't believe that, I have, uh, Keith, I have ties in my closet that are wide, and I have ties in my closet that are thin. When I wear the wide ties, I want to look like my dad, and when we're the thin cut ties, you're thinking he's trying to look like Braden. He's trying to look cool. I've watched basketball recently, as you have. Have you noticed anything about the shorts they're wearing? They look a bit like they did in 1979. That's right. That's the, that's the kind of shorts I've played in. So there, it, it all comes back. My question when it comes to the gospel, we're not talking about neckties or shorts. We're talking about truth. Truth never changes. Listen to me, young people. If you want a life that does not create heartache, tell the truth. Now, now there's... There's pain with telling the truth sometimes. Consequences to tell the truth. But when you tell the truth, you can have a short memory. You don't have to try to figure out what your last story was because the truth never changes. If you're with me this morning, say amen. Number three, let your testimony shout guilty. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 59 in chapter 2. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, confidently, New King James, uh, there was assurance in the accusation. This fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Oh, you could hear it in accent. You could just see it by the way he did things. As a matter of fact, when you look at Scripture, they were identified very easily. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, if you remember when Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Bible, the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, As the Holy Spirit came, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that when you think about what Jesus Christ can do in a life, he certainly changed Peter's life. We have to recognize that heartache can come when we follow from a distance, when we try to blend in and listen People should know that you're a Christian. People should know that your life has been changed. You know, Baylor, uh, their star, the player of the year, was interviewed. In the two interviews I've seen with him, he has made it very obvious that he has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
One article said that he's a Sunday school teacher. Is everybody okay? I can assure you that affected me worse than it did you. Okay, that's all right. Hey, maybe, maybe the airwaves are full today with gospel messages being preached, amen? That's okay, that's, that's okay. I think we're all right. Okay, all right. Let your testimony shout that I'm a Christian. But if you're walking at a distance and if you're blended in with the crowd, oh, it will shout. I'm not sure what that guy says makes a difference at all. Peter was recognized. He had been with Jesus. He was one of those Galileans. And the Bible says, when you look at this passage, look at 22. Verse 60. Peter says, man, I did not know what you're saying. Scripture says while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed. Number four, understand that our disobedience gets God's attention. The rooster crowed. But yet maybe... Something spoke louder than the volume of a rooster crowing. Verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I believe that is the picture of heartache at Easter. God uses a rooster to make a point. And I want to assure you this morning that if you're a Christian living like the world, trying to blend in, you're not blending in, you're really sticking out. Because people are looking for the truth. And you and I as Christians this morning, we have something even better than a rooster to remind us, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. And when you give your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And you'll say, Greg, I understand maybe how Judas could do it, could sell out Jesus. But Peter, and, and I believe God uses Peter as an example for us of how close we can be and yet be at a distance. And how close we can be sitting around the fire and trying to blend in. And, and folks, listen, we're living in a world that's not impressed with a building, as I've mentioned. We're living in a world that's wanting to know if the Jesus you have is real or not. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about your name being on the roll of this church. We have over 900 people on the roll of this church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a role that when it's called up yonder is because you've given your life to Christ as a born-again Christian. I praise God for that. I praise God that I had faithful preachers when I was a boy who all I heard was the love of God and, and that uh, Jesus died to pay a debt I could never pay myself. Some of you need to go home and get on a phone and call an old Sunday school teacher and say, today on this Easter Sunday, I just want to thank you for being faithful, teaching me 
the many times that I maybe, maybe acted like I didn't care or, or didn't even want to hear. Verse 62. The rooster crows. Peter is reminded of what Jesus says. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I've got good news for you before we leave today. You ready? Our failure, number five, is not final. Neither was Peter's. Well, what do you mean, Brother Greg? We know that Jesus is no longer in the grave, amen? He lives. But I want you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 21. Because something happens in Peter's life. John chapter 21. I had the privilege to stand in this place years ago in the Holy Land, and, and it was moving just to be reminded. Jesus has appeared to his disciples following the resurrection. If you recall, the first time he came to the disciples, the Bible says in John that Thomas wasn't there. Could you imagine that? The greatest thing that's ever happened, and you're not where you're supposed to be, and you hear it secondhand from other people. Oh, man, what do you mean? Well, that's not the kind of miss that Thomas had. This is where he gets a little bit of that doubting Thomas label. He says, unless I can put my hand in his scars, I, I, I don't know if I can believe. Look at verse 27 in chapter 20, John. Second time Jesus appears, says, peace to you. And he says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it on my side. Do, you, do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Listen to me, folks. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. You know who was in the crowd that day? Peter. Peter was in that crowd. But the Bible says nothing about any kind of conversation that Jesus and Peter had about denying him three times. Have you ever dreaded anything in your life? I mean, have you ever dreaded going to a doctor? Oh, don't raise your hand. Maybe you're dreading seeing that loved one this afternoon. You know what I'm saying? There are, there are things in life sometimes that we don't look forward to. How do you think Peter may have been processing all of this? Oh, he may have been sitting back in a corner here. I'm speculating. Oh, Jesus, don't look at me again. The last time you looked at me, I broke your heart. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. But in chapter 21, a little later, it does. Verse 10. Bring some of the fish which you've just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land. Keep in, keep in mind, what did he do prior to following Jesus? He was a fisherman. Now he's going back to his secular work. I failed him. Jesus said, come on in and eat breakfast. Verse 12, yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came in, took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, here it is. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Folks, I believe that Jesus did that three times to remind Peter that his failure was not final as he rejected him three times. You might be here today and you say, Brother Greg, if you only knew my life and the mistakes that I've made, all I can tell you from the pulpit of the church uh, as your pastor is, if you only knew my life by the grace of God, am I standing here, folks? And that's exactly why you're here today. It's the grace of God. And the Bible says where sin abounds, there's more grace. There's more grace. He says, Lord, you know all things. His failure was not final. And I want to encourage you today to be reminded that there is still some heartbreak at Easter, some heartache. And I believe some of that heartache is the fact that there are many of us who hear the gospel week in and week out. Or maybe we're sitting here today and we've never surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. You know, God's in the business of, of putting broken things together. Renee got this wild idea that she was going to make home. I hope the boys aren't watching this live. That she was going to make the grandsons a homemade Easter basket. And she was going to use these big cans that green beans come out of, big ones, like uh, commercial, industrial. And she painted their favorite things on them and really kind of made them cool. And it came to my time to be, be part of the process of the assembly line, and that was just to drive, drill two simple holes in the sides of these cans so that she could tie this nice little burlap rope through the holes to make a handle. And as I began to drill two simple holes in a can, how can you possibly mess that up? Oh, you can mess it up when you start creating sharp burrs on a can that could cut a little grandson's hand. Anybody feel my pain? I got the file out in the garage. I was working on that. I was trying to fix it. I was taking the paint off. She was already putting on there filing that off and finally we got got it down to some smooth edges and we both agreed we got to the point that we don't think this will send anybody to the hospital folks we don't want to create heartache the cross is what some hearts need today and as a Christian the cross and the empty tomb is what I don't want to get over. I don't want to forget it. I want you to stand just as quietly as you can.